I move along. One, but I don't know move nearly along, enough about move anything. Move along. That was a very vague reference. It's a deep cut. Deep cut to Deep Space Nine is what he <laughs> just did. Episode. It's a bad episode. I was going Star Wars. What's, how is this? Move that, along. Move, move along, along home is the episode in season one. Whether in the oh. board game. They get trapped in a board game they and they have to do hopscotch together. And holy, it's horrifically bad. Holy shit. That's oh, tremendously specific. <laughs> it's outrageous. Yeah. Um... Yeah. I was just, to, you know, that move along, the droids you're looking for. Classic. Oh, yeah, that's it. Oh, yeah, classic. classic. Much Iconic. easier to digest yes. sci-fi <laughs> reference. Like, no, unfortunately it requires you to watch about six episodes of Deep Space Nine. And I then... think that might have been the first episode of Deep Space Nine that I watched and that might have been why on it's... first viewing I decided it wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> fucking weird But episode. you came around. I did come around at much your urging for the most part. Yeah, well, yeah. we well, are it's influences. Not as, it's not as bad as the other one where they, they lose all their, they have like an aphasia virus, which doesn't make any sense. And then, <laughs> so like, but they, they get it like one by one, they all lose the ability to have their words connected to meaning. And they don't do anything cool with this. There's just one person realizes. So there's just this one scene, which I've just, the first time I saw it was completely out of context. And it was just um, Odo looking at Cisco and he stares and looks at him and Cisco just says, bread. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing television. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to segue to the podcast from I think, that. I, don't I think, think we're just going to. I don't think that's I think we just, There's a button that I'm going to push in the middle of the table. Ready? Yep. Uh. Welcome back, everybody, to the Music and Everything podcast. We're here together for the first time in a little while after a couple of COVID cases and then a Caligula's horse tour, which was really fun. Thanks for asking. And we're excited to be back getting these episodes out, talking about the things that we want to talk about. But first, we thought that we would address some of the shit we forgot across these first <laughs> few episodes, inevitably. Because uh, these two, Sam and Sam, hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Okay. Um, <laughs> bringing a strange energy already. They're very to the far away. <laughs> yeah, it's all COVID safe right here. They'll see the photograph. They know that you're, you're right there. You can, you're not fooling anybody. No, no, the audience, Jim. You, that's what I'm saying. The audio audience. Oh, the audio, the audio. audio. <laughs> Should we start again, do you think? No. no okay, it's fine. Um, these guys have done so much research for all of these topics and we yammer on and I interrupt them and that's generally how it goes. And then we reach the end of an episode and there's always something they're like, ah, I really wish that I had covered that. So we're going to touch on a bunch of those today as well as a bunch of suggestions that we've got from Instagram, from you awesome people listening with uh, things that you wanted to A, correct us on or B, push us in the right direction on. So, uh, it's going to be fun. No one's wearing a hat today. Dale's wearing a hat today. I mean... Look at him go. Look at him. Look, he's you know, on top of the... Yeah, he's monitoring like a mad dog. Chief invest... Chief... Yeah. Hey, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> Chief Dale. Someone talk while I drink I, coffee. <laughs> we've had seven episodes so far. Um... And so I figured... Seven? Seven, yeah. Oh, cool. Because beekeeping was number seven. It was, yay. Yay. Um, so I figured we'd maybe start right back where we started. Mm. Really? 
at comfort foods because no oh, one's got yeah, any questions. Yeah. We covered everything with play. Play is an yeah. immaculate episode. See, there's, there's, never, <laughs> there's never been a more complete pilot than the fucking episode on play. And if anyone disagrees, send us a message on Instagram. Yeah, please let us know if you, there's anything else you want us to cover. That was also an introduction to a, a, a thing that we'll probably go into more detail on oh, that yeah. in other episodes. And there's yeah. too much to cover sure. for it. But comfort foods... There's a, there's a lot of things that we wish we'd addressed. Like all of human cuisine. Yes, for um, instance. Are we saying cuisine? Is it, is it cuisine? No, he I says I don't think wrong. it is. Do you only ever see words on paper? Do you ever speak <laughs> to another human Do we want to bring person? up the chandelier the situation? Don't talk about the chandelier situation. <laughs> is there a chandelier situation? No, it just, doesn't matter. He is used it someone to say it know? like that. <laughs> I see, I see, I see. <laughs> Called out on recording. <laughs> but see, you did just put yourself there because you said cuisine. So cuisine. It's cuisine. It's cuisine. I um, don't know if it is cuisine, but it is definitely cuisine in Australian. Yes, We'll talk it about is. that later. Um, one of the things that came up actually after that episode were people sharing their comfort foods, which was really lovely to see. Yeah, Especially totally. because we're obviously speaking from an Australian perspective. Yeah. Um, but there, there were some ones in there that were really interesting. I don't have any of them on hand, but it's like... The inbox was full yes. for a time of things that I very much wanted to try at home. Absolutely. And I may yet. Absolutely. But there was uh, someone who reached out and actually spoke about um, this idea of comfort food being, what? It, how did you phrase it? Geographically relevant. Yes, yes. Where, so contextualized by where you are. Yeah, for example, they uh, grew up in Australia and were never really particularly attached to the idea of a cup of tea. I mean, you know, obviously it's part of Aussie culture in a way. But it never really appealed to them that much. And then they went and moved over to the UK and all of a sudden it just clicked like, oh, a cu- oh Christ, a cup of tea. Because not only is it obviously like, um, you know, the culture is kind of steeped in tea, if you will. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. We're going to let that pun. Please, just let me make my jokes. Um, <laughs> but also because, the, you know, the weather kind of encourages it. You know, it's a nice warming thing and it's something you can drink all, all day without completely ruining yourself like coffee. Mm. Um, but yeah, that was interesting to hear. So that was yeah. just something that we didn't touch on. No, and I think that it's something that I didn't even really think about because, you know, comfort food is very subjective and very personal as we spoke about. And mm. so the idea of the fact that like, but it makes me think about those comfort foods like, say pho, for instance, mm-hmm. in mm. Vietnam, it, it, I'm sure it's the reason why it translates to Brisbane so well is because we've got a similar humidity issue. We've got yeah. a similar general heat problem mm. that makes, I don't know, having a bowl of hot soup appealing. Make me sweat, please. More. Mm. And I think that that's a really interesting thing to sort of go, why is it that in certain, like that just the geographic differences being one of the main reasons why comfort foods are the comfort foods that people have. Mm. And chili is one of them. Yes. Um, because, you know, lots of um, cultures that have um, chili in their food culture with a word that is pronounced... Cuisine. Cuisine. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, it, is, is it, it is like not just to do with where chilies grow. Um, it's just where heat is, <laughs> where humidity mm. is. And it's sort of odd, but it's counterintuitive if you don't live in a super hot culture, which I wouldn't even count, you know, Brisbane as being. No. Um, compared to, you know, like you know, northern Vietnam. <laughs> mm. um, but it's just really cool to think that, you know, having chilies would be like a, a, a having heat <laughs> would be something that would be comforting in the co- context of um, a hot, sweaty day. Mm. Make me less comfortable temporarily <laughs> for a lengthy comfort. Do chilies grow only in like really hot 
climates? They grow very well in hot and dry climates. Oh, okay. So it's like, for example, one of the things that I learned in attempting to grow chilies, which all of them failed, by the way, because of the floods. And so I've had to start again. I lost my whole, all my boys. All your boys. All my lads, they were gone. But um, that's a very sad tone that that took. But uh, one of the things that I picked up was that, um, you know, making sure that they get plenty of sun, more than, say, a regular um, run-of-the-mill Coward plant. <laughs> um, and you don't need to water it quite as regularly. In fact, you want it to kind of encourage it to sort of spread its roots and, and whatever else. And that it. will affect the uh, heat of the chilies and stuff oh. as well. So it, it is, yeah. So they grow in those regions. So they're available in those regions, but also the sweat response and response to the heat cools you down Absolutely. on a hot day. I can't remember whether chilies were one of the ones like tomatoes that were actually just native to the Americas mm-hmm. oh, really? and made yes. their way over. Correct. I would love just to like, know. Yeah. No, yeah, actually, I do yes. know this. So tomatoes, so people, when you think of Italian food, you think of, um, you think of like tomato-based things, tomato-based sauces mm-hmm. and pasta. Yeah. Tomato is not a, a native Italian plant. It is from South America and Central America, and the same with chilies. Basically, South America and Central America had all the best food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like and corn and potato, corn and potatoes, chilies, chili, tomato, some other, other stuff. things. They have capybaras <laughs> so there. So no chilies, <laughs> capybaras. Yeah, no chilies anywhere else. No, I'm pretty certain that maybe in like very specific places in Southeast Asia, but not See, the, as the prolific. The reason that I'm saying this is that this is the episode where we're correcting ourselves and here we are, here <laughs> we are going out claims. on a fucking limb. Yeah, so correct us on that and we'll do another episode again, Sweet. correcting our corrections. Nice. <laughs> Before we get started on the next episode, we have to admit some errors <laughs> and regrets we have from <laughs> our mini And of course, we all respectively resign. Uh, <laughs> um... But yeah, I, I, I loved the Comfort Foods episode. It was so fun. And I was really was um, excited by just how positively people reacted to it. People yeah. really got excited about the idea, not just because everybody loves food, but like also everybody loved the idea of thinking about food in different places. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, an episode that um, the response was both like wonderful, but also horrifying was the caving spelunking episode yeah. because so many people shared photos of them inside caves, which was- It's awesome. Awesome. And at also the same time, I, I was worried. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that, that was that was really cool because some of them were done because they knew that they would uh, creep us out uh, mm. because obviously we went to some extent in that episode to describe how uncomfortable it made us. But like, it just showed that there are people out there who are, you know, not expert cavers or not people that do it professionally, that they're recreational cavers that are so passionate about it that they hear the episode and they, they go immediately like, oh, check this out. This is one thing that I did. This is what I love to do. Um, and so that was fascinating for me as well. I don't think we really had any uh, corrections or anything from no, that. No, but I do think, I think Samuel- Fucking 100%. Yeah, nailed 100% it. correct. <laughs> Done. There is one thing I wish we could have talked about. I will because- never die. I am God. Proven <laughs> you heard it here today. <laughs> There's one thing which I think would have been cool to talk about ever so briefly because we talked about the world's largest cave, mm. which is Han Song Dong in yes. Vietnam, the cave of the Mountain River. Yes. Um, I remember that. That's what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's the largest cave by volume, but there's other ways to measure a cave, which I found sort of amusing. For example, there's the largest cave by depth rather than by volume. Oh, God. That's a pit. That's just a pit then, isn't it? It is a pit. Well, kind of. Let, hear, hear me out here. Okay, all right. So it's Verifkina Cave. Um, which is in a contested region of, of Georgia, Abkhazia. Um, it is Georgia 2. and 2. Europe, not Georgia and the United States. It, the Abkhazia didn't give that away? I don't know, just in <laughs> case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> 2.2 kilometers deep. No, 
2.2 kilometers deep. What do you mean, no? No. Oh, you're just refusing <laughs> you to do it. Fly a plane out of that. I thought you meant I got the numbers <laughs> wrong. <laughs> no, it was just my exclamation of absolutely not. Yeah, that re- okay. a rejection of the concept. <laughs> okay, well. point, but you, you're picturing that as a hole in the ground, but it's not from zero sea level. It is from 2.285 kilometers above sea level. So it's not a cave at all. It's well, a valley. Wait, <laughs> Would you wait, think wait, that when you... Go, wait, wait, wait. I'm confused. Does it go like two kilometers below sea level? Or does it go to... Well, no, because, okay, so it's 2,285 metres above sea level is the entrance. And then it goes, as far as we're aware currently, 2,212 metres deep. So what's so the... It's like, so it does not reach sea level. Oh, okay, cool. But you were inside a mountain like you're in, like, Moria. Yeah, I was going to be... I was, I was <laughs> you're in a dwarven think. kingdom. Yeah. Was, yeah, I was definitely going with a Lord of the Rings Yeah, that was definitely where there. we were yeah. heading. Um, Good. Okay, what about the longest one, though? The longest one uh, is Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Why oh, is sick. it called Mammoth Cave? Because uh, it's real big. Okay. <laughs> nice one. I love was, that. It, it, apparently, Simple. the oldest discovered entrance is very, very large and very wide. So it was like the Mammoth Cave. Yeah, right. And yeah, it's just like it's not because there's mammoth remains in there. Is there a um, like how you use it cave uh, measurement, or is it is it how only you size? Use it. This okay, is a yeah, no, joke. I, I yeah. understand the joke now. Thanks, <laughs> it was because of the mammoth thing, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It's upsetting. Okay. It's 675.9. Sorry, like nine. Magnum Cave. Like, okay, okay. The joke's played out. 675.9 kilometers long Wait, what? is the, the amount of length you can walk it. It's not a long corridor. But it's got length. But it's got length. Whoa. And what's cool is that the second longest cave... Uh, is twice, sorry, it's twice as long as the second longest cave. So, whoa, so the it's difference. It's, it's very, long, very long big, boy. long, windy tunnel underground. And apparently, it's, it's um, it's like a national park, and there's parts of it that you can have tours through, and it's it's really well known in in the states. Like you can insane visit it easily. Again, that ties into that whole, you know, whole new world vibe we were talking about in in the caves episode, where it's just like, look, everyone, it's the surface of the moon now. And like, no one goes <laughs> here and there could be tunnels that go all the way down and give credence to people's conspiracies about lizard people. Well, in um, Verifkina Cave, the, the the deep one, yes, um, that uh, measurement, 2.2 Ks, that was only 2016. And they only and they, and they stopped because they were bored. It might just be because <laughs> <laughs> no, like- it's really hard. <laughs> To get that in there. Because it's, it's not it's, just a hole in the ground, is it? It's exploration. See, I want it's, you to know that I was literally picturing just a hole in the ground. Just a pit. Like literally that bit in Lord of the Rings where like Pippin drops something down there. Yeah. Like a well. There is a pit inside it, actually. There's can a we, pit inside the pit? How many references to Baba that Tunga one pit? scene in Lord of the Rings can you make in, in one episode? Fool of a tuck. Okay, so that's three. I'll just write that down. Yeah, I'm just going to like the deepest. So there's a deep pit in there called Bada. Babatunda pit, and Why it is. Saying Baradur for a second. <laughs> one hundred fifty-six meters deep. Wait, so there's a pit within there the pit. There is a pit that is one hundred and fifty-six. That just reminds meters. me of like the island that has a lake in it, that has an island in it, that has a lake in it, that has an island in it that uh, exists somewhere. So it's like it's like somewhere. a. It's what like, is it called, Sam? I don't know. It's Where's the evidence? <laughs> Babushka bullseye. We're not researching that right now, and I can't believe I need to know That's all of this. That's for the backup, backup. Okay? That's okay, for the correction of the correction. <laughs> Put it on the list. <laughs> in our last oratum, we. <laughs> Um, but yeah, one of the biggest, I suppose, uh, cor- corrections isn't the right word. We missed something <laughs> we said we were deliberately going to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, and so we said we were going to talk about it and then it never happened. And it's not because we cut it out. It's because we forgot. Um, and so we're finally going to talk about the cocktail glasses. Yay. Woo. Dale, can we play that clip, please? 
you know, we'll talk about the glasses in a second. Yeah, I actually would like to talk about Yeah, the we'll glasses. talk about the glasses in a second, but they also have... Yeah, so we didn't, did we? We didn't talk about it. No. You go, feel free to go back and listen to that whole episode. We didn't talk about it. Yeah. But it's very important. This isn't a trap. <laughs> yeah, we're not, we're not lulling you into a false sense of security here. Um, so I, I did have information about cocktail glasses because... Um, there were, you know, the families of cocktails, as we all remember, Yay. obviously. So cool. <laughs> yeah. And so, but they had specific rules about ice and the glasses and stuff like that. But like particular drinks were very focused on making sure you use the right glass. So I figured, why? Why are they so fussed with this whole glass situation? So a lot of the times with the glasses, it's about maintaining that balance between the temperature of the drink with the ice and with the with the sort of style and um, the style of the drink itself. So you've got that relationship between a tall, tall Collins glass, which is like a highball glass, which is essentially if you imagine like a, like a tall, thin drinking glass. Mm-hmm. Because these drinks are often carbonated and um, mixed, they don't need a lot of ice and you don't need to keep it as cold. And so you can put it in this tall, thin glass because it doesn't matter if it sort of is going to get warm by the end of because the night. Because, you know, if I'm sipping on a syrupy, warm rum and Coke in a few minutes, it's not going to be that big a deal. Exactly. <coughs> and so highball glasses... But a warm glasses, martini, maybe not so much. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not... And like, and obviously there's like you chill glasses and there's a whole process. So highball glasses are probably the one that most people know. They're your classic spirit and mixer glass that mm-hmm. you would use for all of those beverages. What would it look like? So it would, um, actually we have some. They're basically Samuel. just a glass, aren't they? They're just a tall glass. They're just like, m- imagine a tall drinking glass. That co- is a highball. Highball, right. It's okay, a highball. gotcha, yeah. Um, if and you then, want to be fancy about it. Yeah. And then we've got the low balls, which mm-hmm. are your classic. This is silly. Or your rocks glasses as they're called. And okay. they're short. Right. And they're used pretty much exclusively for um old-fashioned type beverages, so just spirits with a little bit of additional dilution mm-hmm. or straight alcohol or... And so so spirit-based cocktails, including old-fashioned Sazeracs, Negronis and all of those things. So that's a bit of temperature management. Yes. But it's also a bit of sexy drinking glass that feels appropriate. Well, Because we were talking about this the other day. Thing. We were talking about wanting to put an old-fashioned into a, like, a, like a coupe glass mm. and then it was just like, that's just... It's wrong. It's just it's wrong. wrong. And yeah. it doesn't have what? the heft that I require. Yeah. So I think it's also about like volume, right? So like an old fashioned or a Negroni or, or, or even neat whiskey, it's less voluminous than a mixer and um, spirit. So you yeah, need less Yeah, because with space. an old fashioned, ostensibly the liquid is yeah. the, the liquor and a little bit of ice. Yeah. So it's, and the other reason water, why um, low balls are great is because they've often got a really thick, dense base. So you can actually like mm. muddle and make the beverage in the glass itself. Mm, yeah, true. Which is really nice. And also it's appealing mm. and in so ways that are hard to explain. The <laughs> Strange cultural <laughs> yeah. slash biological reasons. And then you've got, so then you've got the martini glasses and martini glasses come in mm. basically two different varieties. We have what is known as an espresso martini one, which is more of a coupe curled shape. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a... Um, Imagine a fancy 1920s champagne. I'm yeah, picturing the shallow. meme of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio Perfect. holding up the Yes, cheese. so that Indeed. is a coupe glass. All, that, all of my knowledge is memes, all of um, it. And so that could be used for martinis, but you've also got the classic like V-shaped mm-hmm. martini glass. So the Which reason- Which vibe. You don't, I don't like it? Them. No, but too the reason, sharp edgy. Yeah, it's a little bit aggressive. I think it's just mm. a bit cliche. Ah, you want to drink it out of a can. (laughs) So the reason why the martinis and espresso martinis not being a real martini but being called one, the reason why they have that wide 
surface area at the top. So obviously these glasses go from a very small point out. Mm -hmm. Whereas all the other glasses I've mentioned, the highball and the lowball, they're uniform. Um, so they have this like massive surface area at the top. And that's because there's a lot of aromatics that come in with these beverages. I'm sorry, I'm just, <laughs> don't. I, like, no. I just felt for a second, I don't have it complete, but okay. I felt the beginnings of a your mum joke. Okay. <laughs> Do you have that sensor in your head? No, no, no. It's like I, I felt it happening in the back of my head. It was like an alarm going off, just like, oh, shit. And so I'm just going to ignore Jim as usual and power on. So the the reason why that's nice is because you often will um, express like a, a citrus over the top. And in case of espresso martini, you get that beautiful coffee mm. smell. But the other thing that comes from a martini glass is it forces you to sip it. It forces you to slow down. True. So, because um, and is Ericsson, who's one of the like best cocktail yeah, go, YouTubers. Go check out that channel on YouTube, man. He's really informative. Oh, he's gives, fantastic. Like, gives a, a friendly history of the beverage as well. Never feels like he's lecturing you, and he yeah. makes really good drinks. He makes really great drinks, and it's basically like he says. Like the problem with a martini glass is if you so much as tip it a little bit, you lose half your drink on the table. Mm. But that's because it's meant to be drunk slowly, like a martini, classic martini that we make. You can drink it really quickly and it's fantastic, but you Too almost easy. you need the you need the glass to slow you down. And well, he actually has a really good point about glassware. I like what Anders says. He basically says these are the glasses you can use, you can use them in this way. But he says, but really you just gotta pick a glass you like, put a cocktail in it, it's gonna make it better. Mm. So like obviously there's all these rules. Yeah. But like if yeah. you want to. That, that put ties it on, in with the whole theme of the entire episode where we, we reached at the end that it's like the, the best cocktail for you is the one you like the way you like to make it. You know, where it's like it's not just about the type of cocktail, it's about like what do you like about it? How have you changed it and tweaked it to be yours? Yes. You know, if you're putting it in a glass that makes you feel really good when you hold it, then that's your cocktail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the wrong like, answer. Like the uh, the cocktails episode is was really cool for, for Sam and I because um We've got so hard into cocktails after that. Mm. Like we, we're pretty much at this point like a cocktails drinking house. Like mm. we no longer like drink wine and beer very much. It's like if somebody comes over, I feel like we're like old timey 1920s folk being like, oh, can I fix you a martini? It's just, it's become like something that- <laughs> Can that I I'm fix really you an Albuquerque <laughs> freak out? <laughs> <laughs> what That's that just mean? a straight up just tequila up the nose, isn't it? Okay. Like you, <laughs> so you, you, you lick the salt. Yep. You punch someone with a lemon in your fist. Okay. <laughs> you let the juice run down your wrist and then you just snort the tequila. Okay. Well, yeah, we don't, and we don't and condone that. that. Is the cocktail. And that <laughs> As is they say. the correction of the cocktail. One of the most important things about cocktail making, as we, I think we spoke about on the episode, was ice. Ice is such a key ingredient. But what I learned was that ice serves different functions depending on what kind of ice it is. So you have clear and you have cloudy ice. I now know how to make clear ice. It's a very fun information to have. How do you make clear ice? So what you got to do, so you know like an esky, like a coolie bin, yes. like a chili bin. You get I'm a pig's head. <laughs> so you get a small one. Yeah, you break the curse. And then <laughs> you get the small one, one that you can take the lid off. Yes. And you fill it up with water, but you've got to live an inch because otherwise it will overflow. You okay. put that in the freezer because what you're trying to do is get like unidirectional, um, directional freezing. So you're trying to get it insulated on all sides except the top. So it freezes from the top down and that pushes oh. all of the air bubbles down to the bottom of the block. Oh, shit. Because it's the air bubbles that is the impurities that makes your ice cloudy. I knew that air was the enemy. Go air. on. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, and so you have to do that and then you have to basically chip off the end. So you'll have a, basically a, a, a block of which is probably two thirds clear ice, one third cloudy ice, and then mm -hmm. you just 
get rid of that and you chip it into that is your. Fucking wild! It's beautiful. So you can do that at home, like in your own. You can do that in your freezer. Oh it just God. takes a lot of time, and you need ice picks, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is not something I mean, everyone how has. How short are you that you need to climb your fridge to get to your freezer? Is that like, like? Oh my goodness! The but cocktail time to get my boots. What's <laughs> the reason why it's so important though? Is you can use cloudy ice to mix cocktails. One of the things that Anders says to do is make sure you use uniform, um, like things are small. Uh, squat cubes of ice because they'll melt uniformly. Yeah, not nothing's going super fast. No, exactly. Yeah, Whereas okay. we use like I don't know servo ice. So it's like not- <laughs> servo ice. Um, I don't think that means what you think. <laughs> <laughs> That's ice sourced from a petrol station. Yes. Yes, and so but the or gas the, station. But what's really important? <laughs> what's really important about the clear versus cloudy is so you should always or he always does serve his old fashions or any of his chilled iced chilled beverages with clear ice because it mm. melts slower. And also it looks really hot. It, it looks, looks, oh, looks so good. But it melts slower. So is there an answer for that? Is it because it's denser, it's right? It's denser. Ah, so, oh, that makes sense. There's less air in it. There's mm. less yeah. air in it. So my brain is like the clear ice of brains. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. It takes a long so, time and it's dense as fuck. Um, but I just really, I really like this because the other thing that, <laughs> the other thing that, um, kept coming up was about when you're looking for glassware, you can obviously spend all this money on all the different glasswares. You can have your highball, your lowball, you've got um, your martini glass, your coupe glass. There's a great one, which is called a Nick and Nora, which is like somewhere between a coupe glass and a martini. It's a bit more straight-sided. Mm-hmm. What about a dwarven mug? You can have a dwarven mug. We can have I have dwarven. a flagon, please? <laughs> you Put may. a mojito in there. What if I had like a drinking horn? Would that be allowed? <laughs> of course, it would. Yeah, hooray. Oh, the horn that Thor drinks from in the legend that sucks the ocean away. What about the horn of Helm Hammerhand? If we're going <laughs> to keep going with the Lord of the Rings references. Okay. But one of the things that's really fun about glassware is if you go to any op shop, thrift shop, secondhand store, you're probably going to find some really interesting glasses. Mm. And I think honestly, that's the best place to get your glassware. So you don't, don't go and buy like top shelf you know, martini glasses, mm-hmm. go and try and find some like really cool ones at yeah. your like op shop or your thrift shop because they're probably going to be really well built because they're still around. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be interesting. And that's always fun. Yeah, interesting glasses, man. So yeah, that's pretty much all I had to say about I'm glad we finally covered yeah, that. Yeah, the glasses. No, that is neat. Promises kept. Yes. Also, well, I'm learned. The hands off. Episode done. Thanks for listening. Just kidding. Uh, what were you going to no, say? No, seriously, thank you for listening. Um, the Olympics episodes were... Oh, shit, we're moving on. Nice. There were the two Olympics episodes. Um, I mean, theoretically, we would have missed, like, everything. I mean, just like Comfort Foods is like, we missed uh, all Olympic content. <laughs> like, uh, this topics are too big to discuss. To be fair, we made a lot of jokes and didn't have a lot of time for content. Uh, yeah, this is a comedy podcast after all. <laughs> um, but yeah. No. Towards, yes. the, towards the end, we had, like, uh, um, a lot of... Uh, there's some of the most important discussions, which is about like the sort of um, brotherhood and sisterhood of the mm. Olympic experience, the sort of um, the, the shared camaraderie. Camaraderie, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> just help What's me. What's the non-gendered <laughs> term for like bro? <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what I was searching for. Thank you. Um, yeah, and and there was one particular story I wanted to touch on because we talked about the high jump men's final. Um, last year yes. in the Olympics and it yes. was incredible um, and what an epic moment that was and there's one in history which is considered a slightly more controversial moment mm. in many ways it's um, kind of just as touching mm. um, and that's the 1968 well it's known as the Black Power Salute oh yes oh this yeah um, mm, sure. yeah so in 1968 
um, at the end of the 200 meter men's final. Uh, Tommy Smith, uh, Peter Norman, and John Carlos um, ran in this incredible race and they were standing on the p- podium and the two African-Americans in the group, which were, were Tommy Smith and John Carlos, um, raised their fists in a black power salute as a civil rights demonstration. Um, Peter Norman, the guy who won silver, was an Australian man. Um, he was a white Australian man. Mm-hmm. Um, and the others spoke to about him um, to it. Sorry. The others spoke to him about it um, beforehand to kind of tell them this is what we're going to do. Mm. And after deliberation, he was like, well, I'm not going to join you in that because that would be wrong. Like I'm, I'm a white Australian dude. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wore the, the badge of the civil rights movement um, uh, during the protest. And he backed them when, when they talked about it later. So he stood on the podium with them. He stood on the podium with them in this mm. moment that these um, two men were um, decried for. And he didn't make it about himself and he didn't, mm. but he also didn't yeah. reject the concept. You yeah. know, yeah, He was supported in a way that was the best way that you could, which so was being there. Why were they decried for it? This is 1968. 1968, the Not US. a good year for No, I mean, we're of? talking the Martin Luther King assassination. We're talking um, the shit. Chicago riots. We're talking- Holy shit. We're talking about the civil rights era well, of really the US. The, so hence yeah. why it's so fucking iconic, the yeah. image of that. Yeah. But I, you see, again, I think that ties into that camaraderie that we were talking about before in that you've got this- thing that is this international symbol of of peace and fraternity and uh sorry camaraderie let's just keep <laughs> right comrade um <clears throat> but you know you've got this international symbol for for peace right and equality and we're, we're judging people on on the merit of their ability and how what well, these incredible athletes at the top of their game mm. and to kind of highlight the hypocrisy of that i think is important as much mm. as you know drawing attention to what was going on in the states at the time mm. also drawing attention to the fact that it's like we're all here as these American athletes doing this thing at the top of our game. Mm. And at the same time, while we're being celebrated for this, we're mm. being denigrated for this. Mm. And and calling out that hypocrisy is, I think is essential, but also essential and perfect in the context mm. of the Olympics. You know, those protests could have been anywhere, anytime, but that makes it really poignant because it's in this spot, which is like, this is what it's supposed to be about. When um, Peter Norman came back to Australia, he was actually... Um, he suffered greatly as a result of it. Um, he was, there's, most believe that he was pretty much locked out of the 72 Olympics as a result of the protest. Really? Um, even, in, even as late as 2000 Sydney Olympics when they were um, inviting people to do past Olympians. Were the Americans blocked as well? Um, I actually don't know. Okay. Um, but <clears throat> so um, even in Sydney 2000, like he was sort of snubbed um, and then he died in 2006. Mm. So he, and the other two said in many ways, Norman almost suffered more than we did for the for the courage that it took to, to stand with them. Mm. Um, there was an apology from Australian parliament in 2012. Oh, that's nice of them. After the fact. But when at his funeral, it was Smith and Carlos who carried his coffin. No shit. Oh, the feelings. So, <gasps> oh my God. Yeah, so I just, I wanted to talk about that because I mean like, in a very different way to the other stories we told, it's it talks about the courage and solidarity um, between um, men and women of the world. And it's not just on the basi- basis of nations, but of race as well. That's the Olympic spirit carried beyond sport and carried beyond the Olympics. That's like, using, I mean, when mm-hmm. we're talking about um, PJC, like, was it PJC? PDC. PDC. <laughs> PJC was his cousin. Um, <laughs> But like um, PDC creating the Olympics, like 
the spirit of that being an example is what he was talking about. You know, not not that it's like isolated to this one event, that it's like we're creating this spirit so that we mm. can learn to do this better. And that kind of story captures exactly that, that the Olympic spirit can be taken outside of the context of sport mm. and outside the context of the Olympics. Amazing. Really I have beautiful. feelings it's really lovely. in my body. Yeah, um, anyway, that's why I like talking about the Olympics so much. <laughs> mm. yeah. And also curling, so. <laughs> and curling. Yeah. Um, we didn't miss anything about the Winter Olympics, Jim. We crushed it, Yeah, 100%. Although we did miss a few things um, tangential to the Olympics. Yes. Or actually sort of like supported by the Olympics, but not being an official Olympic event. And mm -hmm. I think some people, I think, reached out and commented about this as well. So there was mm -hmm. two things that we didn't discuss. We obviously spoke about the Paralympics, mm. but there's also the Deaflympics mm. and there's also the Special Olympics. So the Deaflympics is a sanctioned multi-sport event that is, is sanctioned by the IOC, the summer and winter versions of it. Um, and it's held, you know, every four years, it has the same structure as an Olympic Games. And the first one was held in 1924. So- 24? 1924, yeah. So it's actually wow. way older than I even considered it to be. Wow. 24, and that, so that was the Paris Olympics. It's held, I think, in the same year that the Summer Olympics is held. It's on that four-year cycle. Right, okay. And obviously similar with uh, the uh, Olympics, mm -hmm. they the Summer and Winter Olympics were happening the same year and at the same time it Diverged. got displaced. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah, they went through the whole system like that. But what's- um, really specific about the Deaf Olympics is obviously the athletes must have hearing loss, but they have to have a hearing loss of at least uh, 55 decibels in their better ear. I don't really know how that translates because I'm not, I don't understand decibels. Yeah. Samuel, do you no. understand? No, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not an audiologist. I'm a doctor, not a. Yeah, not a. Yeah. So basically. I'm an audiologist, not a. Basically, yeah, they have to have something. some form of hearing loss. And so that makes- Star Trek. And the other thing is like, so you have to have hearing loss, but you also can't use hearing aids, cochlear implants or anything similar whilst competing. So right. you actually cannot have any additional aid. You have to be at your natural hearing state. And that would suggest, and again, this is spitballing here. You can correct us on the corrections episode of the corrections episode. But the, <laughs> the but like the idea being that then they would train. Yes. Like one would train without- one's hearing aid. Yeah, because it wouldn't it would almost like screw up if you yeah. trained with it. And so what that meant was that there was a lot of changes that had to be made because they do all the same sports. Like there's not really a difference in terms of sports. They have track and field, they have football, they have mm -hmm. swimming, they have all of this. It's just but stuff they, that can't be guided by sound. Yeah. So they have to they have to figure out a way to go rather than using uh, a whistle, they wave a flag. Rather than starting with a gun, they start with a light, you know? Mm -hmm. And the other beautiful thing that I found out was the spectators don't cheer and they don't clap. What they do is they do the double double hand wave, which is sign language for like, yeah, congratulations, yeah, yeah. Whoa, hooray, that's awesome. woo. That's what the spectators do. So there's no sound even coming from the spectators because everyone there's deaf. Amazing. Who's competing. So they're always like, you know, the double. And it's beautiful. And I and I think that um, I'm the Deaf Olympics obviously isn't broadcast in the same way that- Is it utilizing the same- um, no. So, because we were talking about the the Paralympics using the same facilities as no, the. No, it's, oh, so it's, it's a different. So it's not. Place. It's not like within the stream. So it's sanctioned by the IOC, so they can use the term Olympics. But it's not a. Formal but it's not a formal okay, Olympic event. Yeah, I sort of wondered where, why that wasn't incorporated into the Paralympics, which has sort of this complex um, system for. As we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Very I mean, now I realize yeah. that it's it's also older again. Mm -hmm. So that's wild. Yeah, and I. I, I never considered the fact that it's like there aren't any deaf 
events in the Olympics in the, in the and in Paralympics. I and I never really considered that. And then I realized after researching the Deaf Olympics that it's like, oh, of course, because that requires a completely different structure in the way that your sporting events have to occur. Mm. So it's very difficult to integrate that into an actual, like into a Paralympic potential, a Paralympic event. Yeah, but even so, like thinking about it, it, I can't see how it's that much of an imposition. Yeah. Like, again, as much as be a hot take, but it's like, I see that and I was like, what do you do? You fucking install a light at the end of the yeah. fucking 100 meter flags. track, dude? Just like, what? what like, <laughs> yeah. Did we, oh, we didn't bring the flags. Oh, well. Like, you know, yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, if you, if, if you can have total blind long jumpers, yes. you can have deaf runners. Do you yes. know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can have these things happen. But there might be a reason that we're not privy to yeah. this. Yeah. I don't yeah. give a fuck. <laughs> I'm calling it now. Get yeah. the IOC on the phone. I am God. Yeah. And the other one. <laughs> Off the dome, on the phone, let's go. <laughs> yeah, so the other one was the Special Olympics. So I don't know if you guys remember, but um, intellectual disabilities were not included in the Paralympics. Right. They were for a bit, but then they were removed. So the Special Olympics is essentially the way that um, intellectual disabilities is incorporated into a sporting Olympic event events, and right. Olympic mm. events. And this, is this another sanctioned but not formally Olympic or is this formal Olympics? No, this is sanctioned... Uh, it's so this is a different language. It's recognized by the IOC, okay. so but it is not held in any of the same years. It's actually on an, its own yearly schedule and it's not in conjunction with any of the Olympic Games. So I feel like the Deaf Olympics is a little bit more closely related Linked, to the Olympics. Right. But this, and this is specifically for intellectual Intellectual, and, but they also have some elements of physical disability as well, but it's much okay. more focused on the intellectual disabilities. And so it's, it's, it's organized both for children and for adults. But the interesting thing about the Special Olympic World Games, as it's called, is that there's a lot of like, like a lot of Olympic events. There's there's basically um, lots of sub events that happen with this one, and it's it's kind of a bit more spread out across the years. And there's there's almost an event happening every day. Is is how the Wikipedia <laughs> right thing describe it is like there's a lot of small groups and small communities that all come up to this like sort of one world game, mm. and it's it's just a um, you know an amazing kind of way to get. Uh, particularly children as well involved in with intellectual disabilities involved in sports. And again, they do all the same sports from the right. Olympic games, like mm. all the same sports. Um, and so that was really great to like learn about those other tangential events that are like so much more specific and you don't even realize how, how many people uh, are being kind of captured by these sports that perhaps wouldn't be able to compete in something like the Paralympics. Yeah, and so it's so really great that they have these Much other in the same way as Sam was talking last time about the Winter Olympics when we were discussing that and, and talking about how exciting it is to see a sport that you just have absolutely no knowledge or experience of that has been working away for, you know, all this time, your whole life and you haven't seen it and you just get to pop your head in and go, wow, look at that. That it's also interesting to see that there are entire branches of these recognized and sanctioned events um, that you never see. No, you never you know, see that, it. That out there, there are intellectually impaired athletes out there absolutely crushing and yeah. going out and doing this amazing stuff every day um, while I sit here and, and name only like able-bodied athletes. Yeah. <laughs> Historically. Yeah, and so. I would love to see something like the Deaf Olympics because I think it would also, like even just the actual com competitive nature of like watching an event, there's so much noise when you're watching the Olympics, there's so much noise all the time. And so I'm wondering like- That's just because you watch it at our house. <laughs> no, I, yeah, but like you've got the commentators and you've got all the people cheering and you've got all the sounds of all the different things going off and all the races getting started. I'm like, how different would that experience be 
at a Deaf Olympics. Mm. And I think that'd be really amazing to, to pop your head in and go like, what, what Look, experience? This is, this is an entirely foreign yeah, exactly. thing that I'm witnessing right now. Yeah. yeah wow. Wow. That's cool. I, well, first of all, I can't believe we missed that, uh, especially yeah. since we we nailed we, everything else, like 100%. to the wall. Not a single thing missed or said wrong. And True that kind of facts. brings us up, I guess, to the most recent episode, which was beekeeping. Which beekeeping. Which I think we actually could have probably spoken about for hours and hours and hours. Totally. Decades. And I, I noticed that you have <laughs> Decades. <laughs> I noticed that uh, you're wearing beehive earrings. I've become you. a little obsessed. Honeycomb. Yeah, I, it seems that the beekeeping episode has genuinely, more than any other topic, changed us fundamentally as human beings. Yeah. Beings. beings. Did you get it? That's Did great. You get that was great. So, um, like, we had so much to cover on that. And I think you mentioned very briefly about the way that bees make honey and you were just like, it's like mandibles and blah, blah, Yeah, blah, blah. I, I pretty much just said like, oh, they put their faces together and like, blah, 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 blah. And like okay, yeah. so I thought maybe we'll expand on that just yeah, a little bit. Rather than just like the, the wet <laughs> bee spit orgy. That's, let's move on. That's, no, that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, right, great. Okay, I mean, maybe thank you for listening to the episode, everybody. This has been... <laughs> Yeah, okay, so first they go out and get some flower nectar, but they also sometimes get honeydew, which is the secretions from the butt of an aphid. But that's only if you lock the bees in a space where there's only aphids. If you, said you, were, you said you were going to make it better. You said you were going to make it better. Oh, we've just, it's rolling. You pushed, the, you pushed the boulder from the top of the hill. That's The only way is down. We're at dot point number one, Jim. <laughs> okay, right. All right, so the bees produce the honey from the flower nectar, and they do puke it up. Okay. So they puke it up and here's, see, here's where we catch up where we were. They okay, puke cool. it up into each other's mouths mm-hmm. and they go blah, 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 because they go from mouth to mouth okay, yeah. over and over again they and they bubbles. blow bubbles with their little mandibles. Okay. And it's, it's really cool cute. because it it's It is getting of, slightly cuter. Yeah, because it's like fermenting. Like it's getting okay, great. see that fucked it. The word fermenting. <laughs> Sam. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah. And so it's basically they're digesting the honey is what they're doing is they're putting enzymes External into External digestion of honey, right. Yeah, yeah, external. So it mm. is it is still from their stomach, so it's kind of internal, but it's also <laughs> external. I regret this. Yeah, okay. And then they put it into little combs and they put it in the little hexagons in the See rhombic dodecahedron. Yeah, they put them in the combs. Yep, yep. And if they're native Australian bees, they put them in cute little pots. As we've yeah, discussed. the suicide pots, yeah. But the thing is, they've got so much yeast in the liquid there. Um, the problem is, is that theoretically that would just ferment really, really badly mm. and become... Um, Mead. <laughs> well, just bad. It would just go off. Yeah. It would not feed bees well. Okay. Uh, alcohol would not go well with bees, I think. Okay. Um, so what they do is they need to actually. You think? That's oh, what the, are I'm they going to do? Are they, quote. Are they going to chill it? Alcohol would not go well with bees, <laughs> comma I think. Close quote. Sam Gray, twenty twenty. So what they do, they do is they fly around and with their little wings, they regulate the hive temperature to thirty five degrees. Celsius and up. Oh, they're little fans. And when you think, I was thinking, hang on, isn't that like the danger zone for like bacteria? And I'm like, no, what's happening is it's evaporating the honey liquid. Right. Reducing it and thickening it so that it's so saturated in sugar that it can't ferment any further. Man. And so it's basically preserved. The best bit is it's not just preserved by that. All of the enzymes from their stomach have evolved to preserve honey. Why? I mean, okay, so no, but, <laughs> and hear me out. Why? No, <laughs> when you see like they're flapping their little wings, right? So they've done the thing, they've put it in here. No one's asking any questions. And yeah. then they just kind of like hover and they flap. 
endlessly for a while to maintain a temperature. But do they know that's what they're doing? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, do they you know? Have wandered man? Like, <laughs> am I, like, are we wasting our fucking, you know, would we? <laughs> What's well, life like I outside? Mean, interesting yeah, that you gave the male voices. Yeah. These are all girl bees. Girl bees. <laughs> Did you even listen to yeah, the episode, like, Jim? Oh my God, did you see Becky yesterday? <laughs> She's such a fucking... Yeah. They're miracles. Yeah, amazing. My- uh, like, I just... I just want to draw to your attention how fucked that was. I mean, just like if you think that that was somehow undoing the fuck uh, <laughs> of the last episode by bringing up honeydew being the excretion from the asshole of an aphid uh, <laughs> and then giving more detail to the frothing of the spit orgy, I, I don't know how you yeah, thought that was going to be. Jim, better. I have yeah. another really important question, and that's yes. why are they so gosh darn cute why and stripey? Why are they so cute and stripey, oh, I, forgot, I forgot about the cute and stripey. Yeah, so I was really interested by this when I was researching beforehand, and I was like, hey, why would they be, like, it's like a target. Why, why would they be like that? Um, and apparently the classic view is that, you know, like most colourful animals, if it's got colourful stripes, it's like a warning tag, which basically means like, like Remember the pain. I'm coming to get you. <laughs> Remember what the sting feels like and you go yellow equals bad. Mm. Same as those poisonous frogs have like the red stripes and they're really super poisonous and they're red. And you're like, I'm like, don't really eat hungry, but I'm not touching that. They don't want to like hide that. Problem is, is that apparently birds just eat and go, go for them anyway. Um, sorry, they don't do that. They do the opposite of that. Birds avoid them anyway. Right. So the birds avoid the bees regardless of the color yeah. In cases in which they can't see the color because they associate the sound of the bees as well. The buzzing. So they, oh, right. They deliberately make a buzz so people know bees and they go, ah! So the buzz is optional. I yeah, think the buzz yeah. is essential. But, it's, but this is what I'm saying. The buzz isn't like a, I'm making this as a byproduct of me flapping my little wingies around. Oh, no, is I it a vocalization? Constantly yeah. screaming. <laughs> <laughs> or is it like, <laughs> like a bee has the need to... Uh, scream at all times, <laughs> or like, or the bee. The, no, the bee. The bee looks at you and goes like, "Oh fuck, I'm supposed to be being a bee." Uh, um, uh, buzz. You know, like, they're gonna. Stay they're away from me. Like, yeah, that's okay. That's Very good to know. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, so that's why they're yellow more and stripy. But why are they answers. cute though? Now, nah, so why they're cute has to do with with humans. Oh. Yeah. So that's humans liking bees and thinking they're cute, which we don't think with any other insect. And we, we have this don't. relationship with bees, which is very old. And maybe that's why we um, think they're cute. Maybe. Hot tech. They just got fuzzy mm. little butts. They do have fuzzy little butts. Yeah. Like your mum. <laughs> oh, there so we go. It was, it was, yeah. yeah. It's a shit one, but I had to bring it up. What's that word? The the word that was the um, association of humans. humans and- Actually, I want to bring this up uh, because uh, my wife asked me to put this on the episode. Um, and that is that there, the concept that we touched on at the end of the beekeeping episode of like the human nature, maybe at a certain age or maybe just in humans in general of wanting to be able to nurture life or be around living things and uh, like having a garden, keeping bees, that kind mm. of thing, is uh, it's a term called biophilia. Um, and I don't know what it is in detail. Does somebody have that written down that's a grown-up? I um, was going to write it down and then I didn't. Well, I have an so example quick of... Google while Sam yeah, does the thing. Well, I'm, just, I'm just going to just talk about stuff related to humans' relationship with bees again because okay, I think it's yeah, cool. Nice. Hell yeah. Because in my research for mead, I came across like, how did mead come to Ireland or whatever? And of course, like a lot of things like- I love the idea somebody- that that's your Google search, including the phrase <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> or and, whatever. And search. Tell me, internet. Um, but yeah, so mead came to Ireland with honey and honey came to Ireland supposedly with St. Madominic uh, or Dominic. And it's kind of like one of those things, you know, like it's like, oh, it's 
the snakes are in Ireland because Patrick bought them. It's one of those sort of things. Yeah, right. St. Dominic, he brought over the honey because he was a beekeeper. Mm-hmm. He was an avid beekeeper. He was a mad dog. Uh, he That's was a mad dog. A Dominic. And so he brought beekeeping to Ireland and then pretty soon there was mead and it got out of hand really fast and that's probably to be expected. But Dominic was known for talking to his bees a great deal, um, which, you know, historically people will look back and go, well, that's actually an old Irish custom. And this time, this is like the 500, 600. So it's a very old Irish custom um, called telling the bees. You tell the bees. You tell those you bees. You fucking tell the bees, lad. <laughs> okay, and so this is this is awesome. Okay, so telling the bees is that when you have a death or a wedding or a birth or something, you have to tell the bees when it's happening. Otherwise, they'll take offense. I would absolutely just love to know why the fuck that's necessary. Because <laughs> otherwise they'll leave. Like, it sounds like something that happened once and then we just started doing it. Like, <laughs> you know, just like somebody trying to lighten the mood at awake, just like... Oh, Dominic, yes. Don't forget to tell the bees. <laughs> They'll be devastated. <laughs> that is the honest and best take I've yeah, heard. So good. I love it. That's fact. That's, that's true fact. Now. Never true correct fact. anyone. Don't look so, it up again. Um, in All relation right. to that, then, the Biophilia, biophilia hypothesis, which is what it's called, mm-hmm. suggests that humans possess an innate tendency to seek connection with nature and other forms of life. So this was actually coined by Edward O. o- Edward O. Wilson. Wow, can't talk. Uh, in 1984. Um, and he defines it as the urge, yeah, the urge to affiliate with other forms of life. And I think it's it's kind of a... Um, Doggos. Yeah, it, it sort of does make me think immediately about like... Wolf. You know, the wolves and the mm. and like the fact that like hearing birds. Well, it's forgetting again that like we have only been like city-based, you know, agricultural creatures, creatures for a relatively short period of time. Um, like our basis is in amongst trees and plants and animals and whatever. So I'm I'm not sitting here going like, man, we just got to return to the wild, dude. Like reject everything and um, here's a mushroom, eat eat that. And uh, it's very high and like we're gonna trip balls and completely be hypocritical about everything. Like I'm not <laughs> I'm not saying those things. I'd like to, but I'm not. Uh, but. Where was that? What was I talking what about? What are you Sam? saying? But it's like yeah, we, man, it's we are we we sort of like I think for most of human existence have been sort of interacting with very yeah. innately with things make nature. us feel nice that connect us to those things yeah. for reasons that are probably self-explanatory. But if you want to know more about it, you can look into biophilia. Yeah, there's no. a book. There's a book. What's the book? I'm certain it's there's many biophilia. books. It's called Biophilia <laughs> by Edward Wilson. Edward Wilson, my man. Yeah, and I think it's a beautiful concept because I think it. It makes sense to me. Like you said, it's just like, it feels very yeah. natural. Like, of course, that's what- I mean, this apartment is adorned with plants, as is the inside of my house. Yeah. You know? I'm covering myself in animals. Animal tattoos. But yeah. that's only because when my body is perfectly preserved 500 years from now and they unbury me- When you me, find out that I, you are Ertzi the Iceman. Yeah, man. they'll be like, wow, she must have been some high priestess of some really important thing. And I'm like, no, I was just like, some- Wait, psych- did you say 500 years? Because that's not very long. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm concerned if in 500 years they're like, oh, we've got to dig up people from the 1500. 20- <laughs> what, uh, yeah, looking back 500 years, what could she possibly have been? Now she has the mark of the podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, God. Well, there um, you go. There's our, there's our, yeah, there's our we did episodes it. and the we, bits we missed. Yeah. I do want to say a big thank you to all of you who messaged and got in contact with us with all of your comfort foods, with all of your suggestions. I know we, we do hear them and we do read them and, and we're really looking forward to touching on some of the topics that you guys have suggested in the coming months. Um, and also just to, you know, all of the clarifications and corrections that you guys have sent through. It's been really, really great. So 
We love that you're interacting. Please continue to do so and uh, keep listening and tell your friends. So thank you all so much for sticking around and listening to the episode. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, we are at the Music and Everything Podcast on Instagram and at TMIE Podcast on Twitter. In the meantime, it's back to our regular programming next episode. <laughs> so goodbye from me and Sam and Sam. Bye. Farewell. Take care of each other, friends. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.